Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. It's good to see you all. It's to see everybody's smiling faces. Um, today, we are kicking off a new series. We just finished up going through the Psalms for the last couple of months. And, uh, and today, we are starting a series that we're calling Deeply Formed. And this is going to carry us all the way through to our August break. If you're new to our church, we actually have this really cool rhythm that we started a handful of years ago where um, each summer during the month of August, we take a few weeks and we shut down sort of the church machine, Uh, meaning, you know, everybody contributes so much volunteering and working hard and and, uh, and we just take a few weeks, and instead of doing all of the regular Sunday morning church stuff, we instead go to the park just a block away, and we have donuts and coffee, and we pray together, and we just enjoy a month of rest. So this is one of the most life-giving practices that we do, and we are going to do that again this summer, so be ready for that. Um, but until then, we want to take this season and focus on a couple of things, particularly formation, spiritual formation, and emotional health. We are asking questions like, what does a life that is surrendered to Jesus look like and feel like? Um, What kind of pace are we created to live at? What kind of relationships is God calling us to develop and cultivate with people around us? What are the things that Jesus wants us to prioritize so that we can live an integrated and a whole life with him? Doesn't it feel good to be emerging from the long winter that was COVID-19? Is anybody excited that we're starting to kind of come out of this? Now, I know that we are, uh, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. We still need to be cautious and mindful of the fact that there is a very real disease that is still out there and spreading and and, um, harming families and people. But it is so good to experience the freedom a vax life. And I want to encourage you, get that sweet vaccine. It's so good. It's so, so good. And see people smiling again. And so as we are emerging from this COVID winter, we want to be intentional about what kind of life we are reconstructing. We want to be attentive to the ways that we have been formed over the last 18 months or so. And we don't want to rush back to the way that life used to be just by default. No, instead, we want to be thoughtful about what kind of things God would have us prioritize and what kind of things he's calling us to let go of. Um, A couple of nights ago, my life group got together, and our conversation was really just reflecting on, um, you know, the last 16, 18 months, and, and thinking back over that time, what are the lessons that God taught us, and what are, you know, um, the ways that we ha- feel like we have grown, and what are the things that we're looking forward to as we kind of project out into the future? And one of the members of our group shared about how she's actually wrestling with not wanting to rush back to the hectic pace of pre-pandemic life, but instead she's spending with time with God examining what kind of things are worth picking up and what kind of things never need to come back. And so we, we all want to, to take time to, to focus on these things and to live with purpose and intentionality moving forward. We all want to live a deeply formed life. We want to live the way that God created us. We want to experience the richness of a fully integrated Christian walk. And you see, all of the forces in our world today lead us towards speed and superficiality and compartmentalization and distraction. And the church is called by God to demonstrate a whole other way 
of living. Whether we're aware of it or not, whether we see it or not, we are at constant risk of being shallowly formed. Most of our lives, most of the things that we do throughout the week are not as neutral or objective as we think that they are. Instead, we exist in a sea of swirling pressures and tides that shape us, whether it's things like our family of origin or uh, social media or the news or um, just the people that we're around in community, our workplaces, a million other voices are all calling us to determine our worth based on our accomplishments, our possessions, our image, and our gifting. And we need, as Christians, to regularly return to the essence of our lives in God. We need ongoing transformation. We need Christ being formed in us. And I think that we have this tendency to compartmentalize our spirituality, where we start to have different definitions of success for each different part of ourselves. And if we're not careful, our church selves or our Christian selves might become totally divorced from our work selves or from our friends or from our family relationships or whatever area of our lives that, we want, that we're measuring. But the deeply formed life is one that isn't compartmentalized. It's one where Jesus permeates everything that we do. A deeply formed life really is just Christian maturity in every area. It's marked by intertwining and interweaving, holding each component of ourselves together in Jesus. It's recognizing that my spirituality is deeply connected to my body and to my emotional health, to my relationships, to my mind, to my sexuality, and and to the mission of God in my community. So for the next several weeks, we are going to be spending time kind of examining some of these things, and we're loosely basing this series off of this book by Rich Velotis called The Deeply Formed Life. Has anybody read this yet? I I gave this book to Jacob for Christmas, so he better have read it. Um, I've read it twice this year, and um, it's a very good read. I highly recommend it. Very simple, but but really profound. You should pick it up uh, and follow along with the series. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about things like this. We're going to be talking about contemplative rhythms, interior examination, rhythms of empathy, inclusive community, sexual wholeness. That's on July 4th. You're not going to want to miss that one. (laughs) Missional presence, redemptive vocation, and living at a sacred pace. And in each of these sermons, we're going to be including some core sort of spiritual practices or or just, just... life hacks, really, for how to be able to grow in these areas if you want to go deeper. And my expectation isn't that everyone becomes an expert in all of the practices and all of the areas, but my hope really is that uh, some of these things you'll latch onto and you'll feel challenged to think about how you can go deeper with God as you are rebuilding your life with greater intention and purpose. And the only way that we're going to be able to do this is if we do it together. Amen? One of the most common metaphors in the Bible um, for this really mature Christian life is that of a tree. You see it all throughout the scripture, uh, Christians or or followers of of the way of God um, being likened to a healthy and robust tree. We see it in Psalm 1. We see it throughout the, the prophet Jeremiah. Even Jesus frequently referred to sort of deeply formed people as those who are like trees that bear really good fruit. And here in the Northwest, we have these towering trees. I was out uh, on a hike earlier this week with, um, with my kiddos uh, in a trail system that's just behind our house. 
And there are these massive old growth cedar trees that just tower. And it, it always like bends my mind to consider how a tree that big can stand firm and not topple over in all of the winters and seasons that it's been through. And redwoods, of course, are the most impressive of all of these trees. And they are able to stand strong because of a really robust root system. And so I did a little bit of research learning about redwoods this week. It was kind of interesting. Did you know that redwoods, even though they can grow to be like well over 200 feet tall, their root systems don't go down like super, super deep. They stay about six feet down below the surface. But the way that they're able to stand firm is that their roots shoot out really widely and then they intertwine with all of the other trees that are around them. So the the strength of the redwood tree is really from having this interwoven root system with all of the other trees uh, next to it. And that's what makes them able to stand strong for years and years and years. And this is what the church is called to be. A family that is made up of diverse people who hold each other up by deep and interconnected roots. And this kind of community is a sign and a wonder in our world today. So today, that's what we're going to be kicking off. We're going to, we want to learn how to be sort of deeply formed, deeply rooted, and deeply interconnected with each other for the next several weeks. Are you guys with me? Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the first one this week. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for helpful voices like Rich Philotus and other authors that really point us to you. Um, thank you, God, for uh, a, a room full of smiling faces and people being able to see each other again. God, we pray that you would use this time to form us, to shape us, to challenge us. Um, we just want to be like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few weeks ago, I went to a doctor's appointment. Uh, for just a routine checkup. Uh, ever since I had kids, uh, about five years ago, I've started having regular doctor's appointments and checkups and blood work done, mostly just to see if the fatigue that I'm feeling is normal dad life or if I have like leukemia or something like that. Um, like seriously, some, sometimes I've been concerned. Um, and so uh, I was um, going to my doctor's appointment and I was actually really dreading it. I was nervous to have to face the reality of probably how unhealthy I, I've become. I've put on 15 pounds over the year of COVID. I, I feel the, uh, like the most unhealthy I've ever felt. I'm starting to get some gray hairs. I was not looking forward to talking to my doctor. And um, I have this incredible physician. She's an integrated physician. And she gives you a full hour for your checkup. Uh, and then she checks all your vitals and then asks you really meaningful questions about your physical health as well as your mental health. And because she knows I'm a pastor, she asks me a lot about my spiritual health, about my walk with God. And at the end of this long conversation and checkup, she wrote me a prescription for four things. And here's what she told me I need to do. Take vitamin B12, eat less cured meats and cheeses, sweat hard a few times a week, and be alone with God for a four-hour chunk each week in silence and solitude. It's a pretty cool doctor, right? And so I get this list and I'm going home and I'm thinking, B12, no problem. Order it right now. Eat better, yeah, should do that. Uh, sweat hard, sounds good, like I'm all for that. But carve out a four-hour chunk to be alone with God each week? How the heck am I expected to do that? Like that is an unreasonable request. 
Now, I put, I put the slide up there because if you get nothing else out of the sermon, you should probably just do those four things. Like, write those down. See, I'm a pastor of a church. In theory, my entire job is to be alone with God for long hours during the week and then to lead from that place. And yet, in most of my relationships with other pastors, very few of them feel like they can take the time to go and be alone with God in the midst of a frantic and hectic world. Pastors are just as prone to feel drawn into the insane pace that we all live in. So how can I do it? You see, our, our souls are not created for the speed and pace that's considered normal today. We are perpetually bombarded with images of all the things that we are missing out on, while also feeling behind on the mountain of responsibility that most of us are carrying. And so we are increasingly people who feel like disjointed and out of rhythm with too much to do and not enough time to do it. Most of us can relate to this sad paradox that the fuller our schedules are, the emptier our souls become. A.J. Swoboda, in his book, uh, uh, Subversive Sabbath, writes this, Our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history, yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on edge. Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst. We have an inability to simply sit still and be. As we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench the true thirst for the life of God. The result is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. I just think that's true. Um, And I don't believe that that's some major indictment that all of us are living in this horrific, you know, pattern of life that, that is, that is evil and wrong. It's just the reality that we find ourselves in and we need to figure out a way forward because that is not the life that God has designed us to live. In fact, if you take the Bible seriously, if you take the 10 commandments seriously or the teachings of Jesus, such a life like this is actually considered sin. Not sin in the sense that you are being condemned by God, but sin in the sense that you are living outside of the way that he's designed you to flourish. And we do not, as Christians, have to conform to this way of living. But the truth is most most of us lack any kind of imagination for any other kind of life. We may, from time to time, in a moment of exhaustion, begin to fantasize about some pastoral Wendell Berry existence out on a farm in Kentucky of contemplation and depth, but then you're snapped out of that immediately with all of the demands as soon as your phone dings with a new message. God is inviting us into another way of living, what Rich Velotis calls monastic imagination. And I can, I can feel some of you, as soon as I even use the word monastic, start to pull back because your life feels way more like a war zone than, it, than a monastery. And trust me, I get it. Me too. You should come to my house. It is far from silent. But, it, but our souls, I mean, at our soul level, we crave space with God that is defined by silence and slowness and stillness and solitude to be present with God throughout the day. 
There's this great book by a 17th century Carmelite monk named Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. How many of you guys have read that? It's a classic, right? And it's fantastic. The big idea of this book is that every activity that you engage in, remember that God is present and inviting you to connect with him in the task that is at hand, that you can worship God and be connected to him even as you are doing the dishes. Beautiful, beautiful read. But there's a small problem with this book. If you, as soon as you start to read it, at some point you realize that Brother Lawrence is a monk living in a monastery where there are no children. And he has a community of people who are all committed to the exact same aim as him. And they have a fixed schedule of prayer and contemplation. And so as much as you want to say, isn't it amazing that he can find God in the dishes? The dishes are the hardest thing he does. You know what? In my household, my wife and I fight over who gets to do the dishes because it's the break. So how in the world am I going to try to live this monastic life in the context that I find myself in? Am I supposed to abandon everything and become a monk in order to be deep? Maybe, but probably not. What's important for us to remember is that the contemplative life, it will vary in its expression across every single person here, but it is consistently about some simple rhythms of prayer and silence. Now consider Jesus. Jesus, the man who was constantly swarmed by crowds and had endless opportunities to teach and serve and cast out demons and heal sick people. Jesus, he came to earth on a mission. And it was a mission that is bigger than whatever you are doing with your life. I can guarantee it. His mission was, very simply, to save all of humanity and to inaugurate an entirely new kingdom, a new way of living, and to break the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. It's kind of a big job. And yet we see Jesus over and over again going and accessing his source of strength by being alone with the Father. You could make a strong case that the fully human Jesus was only able to live as he did because of his alone time with God. The source of Jesus' life and ministry was simply abiding with the Father. And he calls his his followers to live the exact same way. In John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from this life of abiding, apart from slow, quiet connection with God, apart from accessing him and being present with him and being strengthened by him, you can do nothing. But as we abide with God, we can do anything as he calls us to do it. And central to the monastic imagination is this thing called renunciation. You see, when a man becomes a monk or a woman goes and becomes a nun, they are taking a vow of renouncing all of the enticements of the world so that they can devote themselves fully to God. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to do the same, to reject the way that the world entices us to live and to choose instead a way of depth in a different rhythm that enables us to offer ourselves to God in each and every moment. You see, here's the paradox of following Jesus. It's only when we leave the world that we can truly be at home in it. So you guys with me? Let's do it. Okay, how do we do this? How in the world can we live in these, with a monastic imagination, 
We just need a couple of key contemplative practices. So I'm going to lay out three key practices for us to explore. And these are three practices that every single one of us can do. The first practice is silent prayer, which is the easiest and also the most uncomfortable practice for many of us. And at its core, it's the commitment to establish relationship with God that's based on friendship and presence rather than requests. Silent prayer is really all about just learning to sit and be with God, communing with him as a person, and and to come to him without any kind of agenda. Um, During an interview with Mother Teresa, she was asked uh, what she says when she spends time with God in prayer. And she responded by saying, I don't talk, I simply listen. Thinking that he understood what she meant, the interviewer then asked, oh, okay, sure. So what is it that God says to you then when you pray? And she responds by saying, he also doesn't talk. He also simply listens. And after a long silence, Mother Teresa said, if you can't understand the meaning of what I've just said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can explain it better. I've been chewing on that story, uh, you know, every time I go to prayer in the early hours of the morning. It's just been stuck in me. What does it look like to be able to sit and listen to God as he sits and listens to me? And neither one of us are talking, and that's okay. You see, few things feel as enticing to my fatigued soul than that. And yet, few things are as grating to my flesh, especially as an extrovert, than slow silence. And so the call is to carve out time during the week where you can just be with God. It might be a 30-minute walk. It might be early in the morning with a cup of coffee. But finding a little bit of space where you can leave your agenda at the door and open yourself up to God and wait patiently for him. Like maybe a good way to sort of get yourself in that space is to pray through Psalm 131, one of the psalms that Jace uh, talked about last week, where the psalmist writes, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And then to just sit and relax into that posture of being like the weaned child against its mother. You see, the aim of this time is nothing more than relationship. It's learning to be present with God. And a a really important thing to consider as you begin to explore this practice is don't be afraid of boredom. You will almost certainly get bored, and that's okay. Because in 21st century America, I think that few of us ever allow ourselves to feel bored for more than 30 seconds at a time before we reach into our pocket and find something else to distract us. And so giving God this space and giving God time to even let us be bored is actually good for you. Now, I know how difficult it can be for some of us to find this solitude and quiet. Like, trust me, I get it. Moms never get time to themselves. Like, even in the bathroom, they can't get time to themselves. Can I get an amen? But I, I, and so I understand. I want, but I still want to gently lean on us to figure out ways to be able to have this time. You see, for me, um, we have three little kids, six months, two and a half, and almost five. They are busy, and there is no safe hour from them. Um, 
And so I've been having to get up at 4.30 in the morning to be able to find a little bit of quiet for myself. And I do this by grinding my coffee the night before and setting up my home office, having my Bible open to the page that I'm planning to read and, and pray through so that I can literally just roll out of bed and like spend time with Jesus. And that's, that's as much as I have energy for. If you are in this life stage with little kids, it's so hard. And so, parents, I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to support each other to be able to make that space. Dads, take the kids for a couple of hours. Give mom a break. And mom, when you get a break, use some of that time for time with Jesus. I really want to encourage you to do it. I love the story of Susanna Wesley. Um, She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, famous revivalists. Um, Susanna Wesley had 19 kids. 19. Like, Jeff Tatarski has nine kids, and he's beat by 10 kids. It's incredible. And so, and she homeschooled all of them, and like, and, and raised them all up to love Jesus, and she was known for having this profound and deep prayer life. And so Susanna's trick, among all the noise and the activity of her kids, she would pull her apron up over her head and sit down on the kitchen floor. And if the apron was over her head and she was on the kitchen floor, it was like a do not disturb sign. It was the one time that no one was allowed to go talk to her. And she would sit on the kitchen floor with an apron over her head and spend time with Jesus. I don't know. It's an idea. Give it a try. Give the Lord what you have, whether it's an early morning or a half-day hike in the woods or a few minutes underneath an apron. And another way to practice these moments of silent prayer is by doing something very simple like the daily office or fixed-hour prayer. Does anybody practice fixed-hour prayer at the daily office? Uh, okay. Like, guys, I, like keep, I keep inviting you to tell me that you guys are just doing all the cool stuff, and so like, let's just do it together. It's great. Um, fixed-hour prayer, really simple. All it is is just set an alarm on your phone for a couple times a day where it's just an interruption that reminds you, hey, like, stop what you're doing and spend a couple minutes with Jesus. So I have an alarm that goes off every day at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And no matter what I'm doing, when that alarm goes off, it's just a time for me to sit quiet, ground myself, and say, here I am, Lord. What are you up to in this moment? And I want to encourage you just to do, just spend a couple of minutes here and there with God. All right, the second practice is slow reading of Scripture. In a world of distracted and disjointed scrolling, endless scrolling, followers of Jesus need to practice slow meditation on God's word. Psalm 1 says that this kind of meditation on God's word is actually central to the deeply formed life. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The word that is translated for meditate is the Hebrew word Hagah, excuse me, Hagah. And um, a a literal translation of this word is also, uh, so it's to meditate or contemplate, but it's also to roar or to growl. It's a word that is onomatopoetic, which means that it sounds like what it means. And so it's, it's this like visceral word sort of showing a picture of a lion growling over its prey as it's devouring it. 
That's the kind of meditation that we're called to, is to take the word and to just like chew on it, devour it, let it get in you. As a side story, I preached a little bit about this word Haggah a handful of years ago, and um, we had this wonderful man who was part of our church, uh, eccentric, like deep lover of Jesus named Todd, and he was uh, sitting in the middle of the the room, and it was my mother-in-law's first time coming and visiting, I think, at this church. And so I'm talking about this word. I'm like, oh, got to chew on the word of God. And all of a sudden, Todd roars like a lion in the middle of the service. And everybody jumped. It was just fantastic. <laughs> Such a great memory. I love him. And so we're called to meditate, to read slowly and chew on the word of God. Um, one, one tool that's really helpful for this is a, a practice called Lectio Divina which is a way of slowly reading a passage in four simple movements. The first movement in Lectio Divina is Lectio, which means reading. And so what you do is you just read the passage once through slowly. You take a, a psalm or a small section from the Gospels, maybe the Sermon on the Mount, and just read it slowly. Sometimes it's, it helps to even read it out loud so that you're hearing the words coming back to you. And as you are reading it, you're asking the question, Lord, what does your word say? And then the second movement is meditatio, which is to meditate. Um, And so as you read the passage, you're paying close attention to which words or phrases are sort of jumping off the page at you. And then you spend a couple of minutes just chewing on those words and repeating the phrases over yourself, emphasizing different words each time. And during this movement, you are asking the question, Lord, what are you saying to me? The third movement in Lectio Divina is oratio which is prayer. And so in this movement, you are simply turning the words of the scripture back in prayer to God. So you may want to speak out loud or write in a journal. And in this moment, you are asking, what do I want to say to God? How do I want to respond to him with this passage? And then finally, the fourth movement, uh, contemplatio, which is contemplation. The final movement is really just returning to silent prayer and to sit and to rest in that moment with God without doing any more work. Um, God has already spoken. You have already responded. And now there are no more questions required. It's just sitting and letting it finally digest. I love this practice. It is such a helpful tool for reading scripture. And I want to encourage you to find some rhythm for being able to just read sections of scripture slowly. Maybe just one psalm a day or one chapter from the gospels each day and to interact with God through it. And the third practice that we're going to talk about this morning as we wrap up is finally the practice of a commitment to stability. In a world of FOMO and the constant pull to move on to the next thing, the next city, the next job, the next neighborhood, the next church, the next life group, stability is the commitment to remaining with others as a contemplative practice. And this, I think, is one of the most countercultural values that can form us as followers of Jesus. It rages against the structures of American life, and it's good. In a commitment to stability, we withstand the disturbances and annoyances of others for the sake of union with, with God and each other, is what Rich Velotis says. I love that, that stability really is a commitment to just sharing space with people 
for the long run and believing that God will actually do stuff in you as you keep showing up. Never underestimate the power of simply showing up time after time, whether it's showing up for 6 a.m. prayer at the portal or showing up to your Bible and a cup of coffee in the morning in your living room or showing up for life group week after month after year, showing up on Sunday mornings to worship and serve and hug your brothers and sisters. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I was a, I was a youth leader. And um, somebody in the church gave me a key to one of the buildings uh, at the church I was a part of. Uh, I didn't deserve it, but they did it anyway. And it was just so that I, knew I wanted to have a place where I could go spend time with Jesus in the early hours each day. And so I, I just kind of made a, an open invitation to a handful of youth and said, hey, I'm going to be spending time with Jesus in this room. If you want to join me, show up at 6 a.m., five days a week. And uh, most kids did not take me up on that offer. But there were a couple who did. And I can tell you that over the course of, of a year of them simply showing up, no discipleship program, didn't read a book with them, didn't teach them the Bible. Or just, they just kept showing up and sitting in a room, half the time really bored. Um, and it changed them. It transformed their lives. And they're leading in their churches now today. And it's amazing. Don't underestimate the power of just showing up. Like Redwoods, God invites us to intertwine every aspect of our lives with him and increasingly to intertwine our lives with each other. And it's the only way that we are going to be able to grow and to develop this deeply formed life that he's created us to live. Amen? Okay, amen. So this week, I want to encourage you to take one of those three practices and just carve out a little bit of time for it. Even if it's just one day, you get out for a 30-minute walk and you don't talk, you just listen, you just spend time with God, or just to commit to reading one psalm each day over and over again and see what God does, or make a commitment to stability. We are going to stay with this life group, or we're going to stay in this community, and we're just going to put down our roots and believe that God has something for us. Amen. All right. Now we are going to take communion together. I forgot my communion. Does anybody have an extra packet of communion? (laughs) Oh, awesome. Can somebody just toss me one? Yeah, just launch one at me. It's good. Thanks. How do you guys like the new communion Lunchables that we got? (laughs) Pretty great, huh? Um, On the first Sunday of each month, we take time to come to the Lord's table uh, where we eat a little bit of bread and we drink a little bit of juice or wine. And that in doing this, we are enacting sort of an ancient communal practice that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. And what we're doing is we're reflecting on this good news, the gospel, that that is central to who we are as God's people. So um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to, um, I'm going to just pray over it real quick. And then I'm going to invite you to get together with just a couple of people around you. Um, wait, I'm sorry. I'm so disjointed. Didn't get good sleep last night. Um, okay. What we're going to do first, we're going to do this thing that, that the apostle Paul talks about in first Corinthians, where we're going to actually make some space for a little bit of quiet and self-examination. Because I realized as I was preparing this morning that many of us probably haven't sat in quiet in a very long time.
So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to create space for a few minutes of silence. And I just want to invite you to examine your heart and bring anything to God that he's highlighting. Sound good? All right. So Lord, thank you so much for communion. Thank you for the body of Christ, for the physical body of Christ that was broken on a cross for our sins, and for the body of Christ that is the church gathered together to celebrate you. We ask Jesus that you would examine us, you would search our hearts, you would know us, and that you would gently reveal anything that you're calling us to hand over to you as we take communion. I pray, Lord, that as we sit in quiet, that your presence would rest on each person, that we would feel you close at hand. We love you, Lord. Amen.